You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. A three-hour crunch time. Lucky you. Welcome in. Matt Miguez here inside the FCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. FCO Development is a civil construction company specializing in new multifamily construction. Give us a call on the game hotline, 337-706-0111 as the Houston Astros take down the Pittsburgh Pirates 7 to nothing this afternoon over in PNC Park in Pittsburgh. Jose Arcady getting the win after his six innings and two strikeout performance. Corey Jolks gets his first career homer. Alex Bregman gets his second home run in as many days. And the Astros go on to win 7-0. They now sit at 5-7 on the season while Pittsburgh falls to 7-4. Game 3 of that series will be, or actually the series has ended. The Astros win the series two games to one. My producer and co-host, Mr. James Mesh. James and I will be with you for the next three hours. Got a lot to get into. We'll talk about the Astros. We'll talk about the Cajuns. We'll talk about the Tigers. We'll talk about McNeese. And, of course, we'll tackle the the national headlines of the day. James, happy hump day to you, sir. How are you? Happy hump day, Matt. How you doing, man? I am defeated. (laughs) Defeated. Defeated. I I am very, very defeated. Um, the Miguez versus Mesh challenge for the upcoming week has been filmed and it is, it's a doozy. It's a doozy. Um, kind of reviewing the film as we watch it. Yeah. You know, we, we got to play some, some Madden and it just, it didn't go well. Um, we'll just leave it at that. Uh, so you'll, you'll have that early next week to, to feast your eyes on, but Let's start with this Astros game, James. Again, 7-0. The Astros holding Pittsburgh to only three hits in the contest. Alex Bregman, again, like I mentioned a second ago, second home run in just as many days. His first home run of the season coming in last night's game, which they lost on a walk-off, a walk-off three-run homer last night to lose 7-4. But it seems like, at least early on, that Alex Bregman is getting off to a better start this season than he did last season. Yeah, with this game, with this season so far, it kind of took him a little minute offensively with the batting to heat up a little bit. And that's good because compared to last year, he didn't really turn up until, what, the last 40, 50 games of the regular season? It was about the halfway point where he really kicked it on when his when his son was born. Okay, so maybe maybe it was a little earlier into the season than I anticipated. It kind of felt like it was like the last little stretch of the season that you saw Bregman start to really uptick his uh, batting average. Yeah, he finished with a two fifty nine average. He had twenty three home runs, ninety three RBIs. Uh, but so far this season, he's only hitting one ninety six. He's got. 10 base hits, he's only got one double, two homers, and six RBIs. He's been walked 10 times, which is which is solid. His OPS is sitting at about 672. 
um, which is actually up to this point one of the lowest of his career. But obviously it's still very early in the season. They've only played 13 games. But when you look at this Astros group, one of the biggest things that has stood out to me so far, James, is just how much they are missing Jose Altuve. Because I know that, that, that Jose is getting up in age, obviously, and may not be doing quite the offensive outbursts that he has done in years past. But Jose Altuve provides a spark to this roster that when he's not on the field, it's just not quite the same. And then, you know, you're bringing in, you're, you're putting Mauricio Dubon at second. Corey Jolks is coming into the lineup. Jose Abreu is new to the Astros. There's a lot of new faces that you're trying to play with the chemistry and figure everything out. So the Astros are going through some growing pains here. And now when you look at the amount of time Jose Altuve is going to be out, he probably won't be back till late May, early June at the best, best case scenario. So in my opinion, and James, I'll let you comment on this. If the Astros can be at 500 or a couple of games above 500 when Altuve comes back, I think they're in good shape. Yeah, it's really as long as you don't kind of fall into that 400, 300 range of a win percentage. Because if you can keep yourself steady, even kilter, hopefully slightly above, that way you don't have to do too much uplifting in the latter half of the season, you, you'll be in solid shape for sure. How about Kyle Tucker? Right, he's kind of, he's kind of come alive a little bit, hitting three eleven with four homers. He's got an on base percentage of four twenty nine. He's second on the team in RBIs with thirteen. Jordan has sixteen, um, which by the way, sixteen RBIs is pretty close to leading the major leagues. Um, and just an incredible start for. Jordan to, to this season. He's now second in RBIs after Ryan Mountcastle, which nine of those 18 RBIs came in last night's contest. Uh, the Orioles getting a dominating performance last night from their first baseman. Ryan Mountcastle in, in last night's contest went a astonishing three for four with two homers and nine RBIs. He had a three-run homer, and he had a grand slam. It's not very often that you see that. And then I'm sitting there at the Cajuns game last night, and I've got Kevin Foote sitting next to me. And James, it was so funny. So apparently Ryan Mountcastle is Kevin's fantasy first baseman. And so he was like, oh, man, you know, Mountcastle had a three-run home run. And I was like, oh, yeah, you know, that's that's awesome, blah, blah, blah. And then a little later, he's like, oh, man, Mountcastle's up with the bases loaded. I wonder what he's going to do here. And then not two minutes later, Kevin's 
tapping me on the arm. He hit a grand slam. He hit a grand slam. It's like, oh my God, Kevin Foote, calm down. It's April. It's like when the Astros lost on a walk-off. He was so angry. The Astros gave up. They lost to a donkey. Kevin, they've played 12 games. Calm down, bud. It's okay. They still have 150 to go. That's the thing with baseball. Before June, it's really hard to get too down on yourself because you still have so much baseball left to play. So, look, I, I get it. I, obviously, I'm a I'm a big Astros fan as well, so I, I get the idea of being aggravated when they're not playing well. But there's still plenty of baseball left to go. Um, also, tonight, the New Orleans Pelicans hosting the Oklahoma City Thunder in the play-in tournament. If the Pelicans win that contest, they will move on to play Minnesota on Friday night for the eight seed. And so if they get the eight seed, they would have a first-round playoff series with Nikola Jokic and the Denver Nuggets. That will be fun, said no one ever. We got a lot of fun stuff to get to today. Four great guests coming in the four and five o'clock hours. Do not go anywhere. A three hour edition of Crunch Time rolls on right after this top of the hour update right here on the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. Got something to say to Miguez and Mesh? Hell yeah! It's easy. Just call the hotline by dialing 337-706-0111. Now back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back. 320, almost 321 here on your hump day. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. Looking at the LSU Tigers, they were in Uptown New Orleans last night, and for a while, for the first three innings, things looked interesting between LSU and Tulane. Uh, Scoring opened in the first with an RBI single by Bumgart to score Brady Abair, make it a 1-0 game. Tommy White gets a two-run double in the third to take the two to one lead. And then Bumgart comes back up in the third and hits a two run homer to make it three to two. And then from there, you had a couple of RBI singles sprinkled in for Tulane, but it was really all LSU from that point. Uh, Braden Jobert had a solid night with a two run homer and an RBI single. Tommy White had another sacrifice fly Dylan Cruz Trey Morgan getting in on the party as well Jordan Thompson just Jordan Thompson has probably been the most underrated guy from an offensive perspective because coming into the season you knew what he was as a defender you knew what he was at the shortstop position What you didn't fully know was just how good he was going to be offensively. And when you look at the statistics 
up until this point. I mean, he's hitting 305, seven doubles, five homers, 26 RBIs. That's solid. That's incredibly impressive. I mean, it's not Dylan Cruz numbers. Dylan Cruz still hitting 505, by the way, uh, with an on base percentage of 639. Ugh. See that sound? That that's what she called disgusting. 505, 11 doubles, nine homers, 36 RBIs, and he's been walked 33 times. He's been walked 33 times. If you count walks and hit by pitches together, his free free pass to strikeout ratio plus 24. He has 40 freebies, and he struck out 16 times. Look, I'm not a baseball aficionado. I've never claimed to be one. But just reading that stat line, I can tell you one thing. And this might, this might sound obvious. Dylan Cruz knows how to play baseball. He's, he's pretty good at it. And he's going to make a lot of money playing baseball for a very long time. Jared Jones, same thing. He's a freshman hitting 368 with a 747 slugging percentage. He doesn't walk as much as Dylan Cruz does. But, I mean, God, to be able to walk 33 times at the halfway point of the season, that's insane. That plate vision is is unmatched. And then you got Tommy White with 54 RBIs. I mean, that that guy. But hey, he might be a little overrated. That's what I've been told. I've, I've been told that he might not be as good as, as we think he is. But he leads the team in RBIs by 18. Just saying. It's kind of hard to argue with those numbers. He may go two for five, which isn't even bad. It's really not. That's a 400 average. It's, you can't even be mad at that. But then every time he hits and gets on base, even if he doesn't get on base and he hits like a sacrifice out, he still ends up helping one of the guys score. Yep. So it's like he, he always takes advantage of guys being on base and doesn't let that squander too much. Dude drives in runs. He just drives in runs. And that's re- that's really all you ask for is if there's an opportunity, can you help drive in your teammates' hope? the The thing that concerns me is midweek pitching. It's midweek pitching. They're pitching in the midweek. You know, when when you started, Thatcher heard what was going to be. You know, when you're when your key guys in the midweek. And then it went to, you know, Christian Little was was gonna be one of those guys. And, and Christian Little wasn't horrible last night. He only pitched an inning. You you really went with the Johnny Holstaff approach last night. Blake Money still seems off. Um, even from last year with his two and one-thirds innings. He gave up two runs, only struck out two. Bryce Collins 
had a good outing with two and two-thirds. He got the win last night. Sam Dutton, Riley Cooper, and Thatcher Hurd each go an inning. Thatcher Hurd looked good in the one inning that he threw, but if you look at any of his other starts, especially over the last month, he struggled. Especially against the SEC, he has struggled to get out of the third inning in most cases. Um, so look, Paul Skeens, Paul Skeens is a dude. He's shown you that. Ty Floyd is a dude. He's shown you that. After them, everybody else is kind of up in the air. I mean, Chase Shores has been good, but he's injured. Yeah, uh, but with, with the pitchers last night, to be fair, Simon Bumgard kind of ate everyone's lunch. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. Dude went four for five. He ended up getting four RBIs. He had that two-run homer. And eventually had two runs scored himself. So it was like, dude was just on one last night. And you just couldn't stop him. You just had to try and contain everyone else, which they ended up doing. But Tulane really never went away in this game. How much longer is it going to take until Paul Skeens picks up a bat? I'd probably say next year, unless there's a, unless there's a few injuries to the batters. Especially with... Your injuries to your pitchers, you're not throw you're not throwing uh you're not throwing Paul out there to bat right now. You're more worried about what he does this year bat- pitching than he is batting. Well, I don't if know. you want to see if you want to see it next year, maybe. He's not gonna be back next year. He's gonna get drafted top five. He won't be back next year. Is he out of eligibility? No, he's he's a junior. He'll have another year, but I don't think he's gonna come back. MLB the, li- the likelihood is the likelihood he he won't be back. An MLB team's going to throw him a five million dollar signing bonus. But I but I wonder with Paul if depending on how the season ends for LSU, if you're salty enough, you wouldn't run it back. I I, I get the, I get the competitor side of it, but man, because like if you're that close and like you got that goaded of a squad for LSU, it's like you. To me, maybe I would probably run that back one more time just in case. Just to see it's like, hey, can we get that national championship? Can we win that college world series? If you don't win it this year in twenty twenty three, can you win it in twenty twenty four? I mean, I, I get what you're saying. I really do. So here's the thing. Let's say we we can agree that Paul Skeens is a top five pick, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. He he's a top five prospect. So we're three? Get yeah, pick third. You, you can see him. You can see him going going three. Based on last year's numbers, he would get seven point six million dollars mm-hmm. at signing. I don't care how salty you are. Seven point six million before you even throw a pitch for that organization. <laughs> yes, please. I mean, that's a no brainer. Most people could be set for life with $7.6 million. If you spend your money wisely, you can live the rest of your life on $7.6 million. He won't have to unless he gets hurt because he's just going to continue to make money year in and year out. But $7.6 million is life-changing money. 
if I'm Paul Skeens and somebody throws that dollar sign at me, I'm going. Point blank into discussion. Because let's say, because you've seen it before, let's say, you know, he really wants to run it back and come back for his senior season at LSU. And, I mean, God forbid, but let's say he blows out his elbow next year. Dude's done. I want to look at his NIL deal, and, like, the main thing that pops up for him is that for every one of his strikeouts, he pledges to charity. Right, which is awesome. Yeah, it's amazing. $7.6 million. He's not getting NIL money of $7.6 million. He's not. No, no, you're not getting that much. Uh, but I'm. what I'm wondering is, do you think you're going to see him bat this year? I have a feeling. Like you, Do you really think so? I have a feeling Jay Johnson's holding it for the postseason. You think he's holding it for like in, the regionals, the, the super and in, regionals? And in the postseason, he's going to be like, look, secret weapon, go get him. Because looking at tape on Paul Skeens from a batting perspective, dude, he's got the power of Tommy White. He's another Tommy Tanks. So you add another power bat like that to the lineup, oh, man. And I'm not saying he would hit every game. But God, throw him in as a pinch hitter every now and again. Kind of sprinkle him in there. Yeah, throw him in as a pinch hitter every now and again. And then and then move Cade out because Cade's usually a DH. Yeah. So then at that point you would move Cade to the uh, to the infield. Yeah, I would play him at first base. Put Trey Morgan in the outfield. Put Trey in the outfield and okay. Yeah, I mean, why not? Uh, Jay Johnson's got a ton of things that he can do with this wild batting order uh, if you're LSU. But again, getting the win last night over Tulane, they now, the win was 11-5. to They now sit on the season at 27-5. and Their next SEC series will kick off tomorrow against Kentucky. Uh, tomorrow at 6, Friday at 6.30, and then Saturday at 1, uh, top 15 matchup with number one LSU and number 12 Kentucky at Alex Fox Stadium. We'll take a timeout here. When we return, we'll preview the New Orleans Pelicans and their play-in matchup with the Oklahoma City Thunder next. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. It's time for the NBA playoffs, and you can get in the action right from first tip with FanDuel. Right now, all customers can get a no-sweat same-game parlay every weekend when you bet the NBA playoffs. That's right, just place a three-plus leg same-game parlay or same-game parlay plus on any NBA playoff game, and you'll get bonus bets back if you don't win. I'm going to take the Denver Nuggets to represent the Western Conference in the NBA Finals. There's great promotions every day. The app is safe and secure, and then you're going to get paid instantly when your bet hits. There's no better place to bet all the playoff action than America's number one sportsbook. Visit FanDuel.com slash KLWB to get a no-sweat same-game parlay every weekend on the NBA playoffs. That's FanDuel.com slash KLWB. FanDuel, official sports betting partner of the NBA. You must be 21 and older and present in Louisiana and permitted parishes only. 
Bonus issued is nominal drop bonus bets that expire seven days after the receipt. Restrictions apply. See full terms at FanDuel.com sportsbook. And if you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-877-770-STOP. You're listening to The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Hit high, hammered to left field. Going back, taking a look, is Holcomb, and it's gone! Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Driven pretty well and pretty deep to left field. Going back is Varsho, looking up. See you later! Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Three thirty-eight. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. I gotta, I gotta say something. I don't like the Los Angeles Lakers. I don't. And last night they had a golden opportunity to lose and face their fate of losing to the Pelicans in the last play-in game. But no, they had to go and win in overtime and put themselves squarely in the playoffs. That's fine. Memphis is going to sweep you. And LeBron will crawl into his little corner and cry and retire. And the NBA will be better for it. Also, while we're on the topic of last night's games, the Atlanta Hawks beat the Miami Heat 116-105 to behind 25 points from Trey Young. Looking at tonight's matchups, you've got the Bulls and Raptors in the 9-10 and game in the Eastern Conference. That game will tip off at 6 o'clock, and then right after at 8.30, you got the 9-10 and game in the West between the 40-42 and Oklahoma City Thunder and the 42-40 and New Orleans Pelicans. Now, I know our simulcast isn't on because of the Astros broadcast, but I'm sitting here rocking a Zion Williamson jersey. Uh, feeling good about myself, feeling good about the game tonight. I think the Pelicans have a good chance of winning this game. But if they don't, the season is over. Over. And if it ends, you know what we're going to be saying tomorrow? Idiot. That's what we're going to be saying. I'm just going to say idiot on repeat. All day long. Idiot. 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 It's a little late for that. Right. It's a little late for a good... Thank you, Kevin Foote. It's a little late for a good performance. But I have a feeling that the Pelicans are going to play well tonight. Oh, my God. Brandon Ingram is going to have, you know, 35 with seven three-pointers. Just kidding. Maybe not that many. (laughs) Trey Murphy might have seven three-pointers. You serious? Shea Gilgis-Alexander is obviously going to get his, averaging 31 points per game so far this season. Um, But look, I really think the Pelicans have the advantage in this game when it comes to the experience. And we talked about that yesterday with Andrew Schlecht of The Athletic. When you look at the Oklahoma City Thunder, there isn't a player on their roster aged 30 or older. Now look, the Pelicans are a fairly young team too. Their oldest player is, is 36 in Garrett Temple, but he he doesn't really play that much. Oh, the, Garrett Temple. The oldest player that makes an impact is CJ McCollum at 31. 
which is not old. The Pelicans are a fairly young team themselves. However, they have at, some playoff experience. You look at C.J. McCollum, he's got playoff experience. You look at Jonas Valanciunas, he's got playoff experience. And then Brandon Ingram, Herb Jones, Najee Marshall, Trey Murphy, all those guys went to the playoffs last year. They know what it takes. And they've also been in this play-in position before. So they know what it takes to get out of this play-in tournament. The Thunder do not. The Thunder have an incredibly young roster that haven't experienced this before. Then you, you, you throw in the fact that it's in New Orleans. Look, for 82 games, New Orleans might not give a damn about NBA basketball. But when it's the postseason, that place is going to be filled. Which they do. It's just when the times that they were really bad... It's like what's the point in going if you're if there's you're not going to put on a good product. No, New Orleans isn't just a football town or a football city. I mean, it's it's a sports city. If you got a good team and you got a team for them to root for, they're going to go and watch. And can we please stop with the narrative of it being a small market? Not only of it being a small market, but I'm talking about as from a Zion perspective. Can we stop the narrative that he doesn't want to play for the Pelicans? Like, what indication have you gotten from that other than he's just not been on the court? He's hurt. He's hurt. Wasn't B.I. injured earlier in the season? And when B.I. got healthy, what did he say? I'll come back when I feel like myself. And guess what? No one said a word. No one said a word. But, oh, number one overall draft pick superstar Zion Williamson says that he's not ready to come back and he'll come back when he, quote, feels like Zion and it's a problem. Uh, I'll say, I said it yesterday and I'll say it again. If you're not ready mentally, you will not be ready physically. Point blank. If Zion is not 100% mentally focused on being back on the court, I don't want him back on the court. He's 21 years old. 22 years old. A kid. Hell, I'm a kid and I'm about to turn 26. The point is... Why would you try to rush a young generational talent who is clearly going through some mental issues right now trying to get back on the basketball court because basketball is all he's known and he's played 114 games in four years? That takes a toll on you mentally. So a guy that's trying to get right... Why would you rush him back and make it worse long term? That's stupid. Especially with social media being so prevalent nowadays. He's he's bound to see. Unless he completely shuts off his phone and deletes his social media accounts, I'm sure he's bound to see some some of the stuff that people say online where it's like he doesn't want to be here. I'm I'm tired of Zion. The I don't I don't want to I don't want him here anymore. He doesn't want to play for the Pelicans. Like, at a certain point, 
that's going to take a toll on you mentally because it's like you want to be there and you're hearing the critique from everyone. But it's like, I mean, you just can't do anything about it. Like you're still trying to recover. But then it's like once you're recovered, at a certain point, that's going to hit you mentally if you see it enough. If you honestly believe that Zion Williamson doesn't want to play and he's just collecting a check, then you've never listened to Zion Williamson talk. Yeah, because every press conference, well, not everyone, but every time you see in a press conference and like kind of that comes up as a question of, like, do you want to be here? Do you like being on the Pelicans? Do you love the city of New Orleans? It's like every time he's pretty much given the answer, like, yeah, I, I love being here. I love the city. I, for me, the reason why I say I want to move on from Zion soon is because I just worry about the injuries and I think he just still has a lot more value than you would see with a Michael Thomas because he's 22 compared to Mike who's 29. It's just one of those things where if he was ready, he'd be playing. I mean, he literally talked about it yesterday when he met with the media and he went on a 20-second conversation talking about how much it sucked that he couldn't be on the floor right now. The kid wants to play. Again, I'll reiterate the point. If you honestly believe that Zion just wants to sit at the end of the bench and collect his $14 million a year, then you've never heard the kid talk about basketball. Zion Williamson loves this game. He loves being on the court with this team. And he loves the city of New Orleans. I believe this with everything in me, and I'll die on the hill if I have to. The New Orleans Pelicans are going to offer Zion Williamson a Supermax deal this summer. And he's going to take it. They're already so they're already in so deep with him. They're going to continue. They're not going to let him walk for nothing. And he's going to take it. Of course. Because here's the thing. We, we talk about how he hasn't played. What's he proven? He hasn't proven a lot yet. He's crazy efficient on the court when he's on the court, but he's not on the court so as often as he should. He's not going to make close to the money that anywhere the Pelicans else. can offer him anywhere else. Not close. So if he's all about the money, like some people tend to believe, then he's staying in New Orleans for another five years. Or or, or if that's the case, it's like, then wouldn't he just leave? If he, if he doesn't want to play for the Pelicans that bad. Right. He would leave. But he has already said, it's on record, I will take the Supermax deal when the Pelicans offer it. He said it last offseason that they'd already begun talking about a contract extension, that he was looking forward to staying in New Orleans long term. The proof is in the pudding, folks. Zion Williamson wants to be in New Orleans. And New Orleans wants him. New Orleans needs him. They need him. A healthy Zion Williamson is everything New Orleans needs right now. And again, I'll die on this hill if I have to. I think Zion's going to be healthy next year and have a breakout season for the Bells. I'd love it. I really see that coming. I'd love for that to happen. 
But we're going to take a time out here. We'll wrap up our number one of three here on Crunch Time right after this. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. If you're tired of your boring man cave, well, the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles wants to hook you up with the ultimate man cave makeover built by Lafayette Marble and Granite. Sign up today in the clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com for a chance to win a new recliner from Bordelon's Furniture, a flat screen TV from AVI, and more. It's the ultimate man cave makeover powered by Lafayette Marble and Granite and the game. This is Crunch Time. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back, 353, looking at some top stories in the world of sports. Yesterday we talked about Louisiana wide receiver Michael Jefferson getting injured in a car accident in Mobile, uh, it left him with injuries that required multiple surgeries. Um, according to the Alabama Law Enforcement Agency, Jefferson was traveling in a Chevrolet Impala that collided head-on with a Dodge Charger, which was also hit by a third vehicle. Um, the crash did kill the driver of the Charger, which was a 55-year-old man who was not wearing a seatbelt and was pronounced dead at the scene. Uh, Jefferson recorded career highs last season with Louisiana, 51 receptions for 810 yards. He played for three seasons at Alabama State in his career, 154 catches for 2,407 yards and 29 touchdowns. He was projected to be a middle-round draft pick in this month's NFL draft. Continuing to pray for Michael and his family in, in a speedy recovery um, just an absolutely terrible situation uh, to, to be in. But, you know, we look at some more top stories. Rangers shortstop Corey Seager will miss four weeks with a hamstring strain. The Rangers have not gotten off to the start that many people thought that they would when they looked at their roster. You're 7-4, and four, which is winning the AL West, and that's that's great, but your pitching hasn't been up to I think what the ideal was when you came into twenty twenty three. Because you look at it and Jacob deGrom was going to be, you know, this revitalizing pitcher for you. He's one to know on the year which is fine, 16.2 innings. He has 27 strikeouts, but his ERA is at 432. And then you look like a, at a guy like Andrew Haney, who has an ERA of 8.22. Your team ERA 11 games in is 3.4, which is per, it, it's solid. It's not great, but it's solid. I think that people looked at the Texas Rangers roster and – just really thought they were going to set the world on fire. They thought that the Rangers would do what the Tampa Bay Rays are doing right now, sitting at 11 and 0. The Tampa Bay Rays have gotten off to a scary start. 
Randy Rosarena is hitting 326 on the year. He's got two homers, 11 RBIs. Wander Franco's already got four homers on the year. Brandon Lowe, four homers as well. The Rays are just playing really good baseball. And then you look at their pitching rotation. I mean, Shane McClanahan, Drew Rasmussen, Jeffrey Springs. I mean, Jeffrey Springs in two starts, he's got an ERA of zero. The man's given up only three hits and 13 innings of work. It's it's insane. Shan McClanahan has three wins already in 17 innings and an ERA of 1.59. The Rays are good. The Rays are really good. Right now, it's still incredibly early. I understand that. But from what I've seen thus far, the Rays might be the Astros' biggest competition in the American League. If they can continue this, it's a scary group. 11 and 0 is an incredible start. It hasn't been done in decades. So, look, I mean, props to Tampa Bay. The Astros looking to get close back to 500. They're still waiting on Jose Altuve to come back. They're still waiting on Michael Brantley to come back. Once you get everybody back healthy, the Houston Astros are going to be rolling again. There's a reason that they're the favorite to win the World Series. Hour number one of three in the books. Hour number two, we'll kick it off right after this top of the hour sports update right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Here we go, hour number two of three here on Crunch Time. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. And here in Acadiana, you can check us out on the simulcast on Stadium 32.3 and by going to 133 on LUS Fiber. We're broadcasting live from the Evco Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette. Evco Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. James Mesh, yesterday was your born day birthday, Jordan day, whatever the heck you want to call it. So when you left here, what'd you do? How'd you spend your birthday? Uh, My friend invited me over. He had bought me a pack of NBA cards. Did you get Uh, any good ones? uh, Yeah, actually, I forget what the card is, like what the design specific card is. It was a Jonathan Kaminga. He said he looked up the price and it ended up being like nineteen dollars. Oh, solid. Yeah, solid. So yeah, that's I got that in the sleeve. That's a win. Uh, I don't really have a use for the Jonathan Kaminga, so. So what you're saying is that your sports cards fanatic co-host right here could take it off your hands for you. Yeah, for a deal. Okay. I won't okay. sell it to you for the nineteen. I'll, we could. I'll give you a little bit of a deal. We could talk. We could talk. So. Is that is that all you did? Is that how you spent your birthday? Uh, I mean, I didn't get out of here till. Yeah, I know you were here late. Damn near ten o'clock because I was covering the LSU game. Them, them LSU Tigers, God dang it! They I know, had, and they had to play. And well. it was, and it was like you could have just ended the game sooner, but it was like 
they decided to score three more runs in the ninth inning. It was like, I get it. You're only up eight to four at the moment. So then you made it eleven four, and then Tulane put up one more run in the in the ninth inning to make it eleven five, which is what LSU ended up winning with. But it was like couldn't just finish this sooner. So I I didn't get out till about ten o'clock, and then went to his house, and then we played a a game called Code Names. So it was like you're in teams of two, and one guy is the spy master, I think it's called. And they're able to see what words correlate with your uh, team color. So it's like you're either team red or team blue. And they're able to see, and they have to try and give like one word hints. And you can be like, and see if they can correlate. So it's like, if there's like three words you could correlate with one word as a hint, say like country and like, you say like two country and two of the words for your color are like Egypt or not Egypt. If two of them are America and France, then it's like you click on those and you're trying to get rid of all of the, you're trying to click on all the ones that you get to go down to zero. Interesting. It's a, it's a cool little neat game that I learned last night. Interesting. So we talked about the Pelicans but before we ended that first hour, uh, I, I just came up on a tweet, and it's a report from Skip Bayless. Oh, Skip. Now, love or hate Skip, he knows people. He's, <laughs> he's got connections. He, he's, he's got an ear around. The Pelicans medical staff has cleared Zion Williamson to return for the play-in. But Zion's camp is holding him back from playing. A quote from Skip says, his stepfather is becoming increasingly upset with the Pelicans for the clause in the contract that allows New Orleans to weigh him. Wasn't this an issue last year? It was. The stepfather was... It was. Was like the big troublemaker in all of it. Because mm-hmm. like it was the quote-unquote family... Well, I believe it was the stepfather that was the one that was kind of stepping into things that was making everything kind of like public knowledge almost. Yeah. No, it absolutely was. Um, Look, this is – it's business. It kind of relates to with Kyler Murray with his – The film study thing. With the film study clause in his contract. It's business – which, which the Cardinals didn't have taken out. Correct, because of all the backlash that they got. Yeah. Zion has been overweight his entire NBA career. It caused half of his injuries. So I can't really blame the New Orleans Pelicans for... Who would be investing hundreds of millions of dollars. I can't really blame them for wanting to keep an eye on things. Making sure that you are at a decent size weight. To I'm, try and prevent as many injuries as possible? Is it an odd clause? Yes. Yes, it is. But this is a unique situation. Correct. With a unique player. So, again, I don't blame the Pelicans. And if if stepdad wants to be upset, I mean, I guess that's his right. But... Boo-hoo. 
at the end of the day, and, and this is, I get wanting to listen to the advice of your family. But when you get to the NBA, the decision becomes yours and yours alone. Are they NBA coaches or GMs? If you are clear to play, the decision is up to you on if you're ready to return. Stepdad ain't got nothing to say about it. He can give us two cents and maybe give you some advice, but that's ultimately your decision. But you have to make the call. So... If if I don't know that that's a that's a very tricky situation. Um, I, I guess that's why they say it's it's difficult to work with your family because Ooh. that's oh man oh my god <laughs> I like that one I like that one we should use that one more often. So we we've talked about the Lamar Jackson. Saga. Saga, movie, soap opera, Real Housewives of Baltimore, whatever you want to call it. The Indianapolis Colts have been a team that kind of looked like, hey, they could go after Lamar. Well, a report has come out saying that the Colts are focused on the NFL draft and they're being very quiet about a pursuit of Lamar Jackson. Are you using the draft as a smokescreen? Or should the Colts draft somebody? Because, look, I, I know that the Ravens said two first-round picks. But if it's one first-rounder that's fourth overall... That might be enough. I just we're not we're not talking about a mid twenties pick. We're talking about number four. I'm just saying, does Lamar would he want to go to Indianapolis? Because it kind of feels like sort of the same same situation. situation. As Baltimore. Yeah. Like there's a little bit better here and there on certain position groups and groups as a whole. But overall, you look at the team and you're like, okay, let's take out Lamar from both teams. And you're looking at the supporting cast for the offense, the offensive line, and the defense as a whole, the coaching staff, and the special teams. Correct. If you take it, if you take away Lamar Jackson, I mean, with the the checks and balances of certain positions being better than others between the two teams, overall, I would consider them both roughly about the same team. So look, here's so it's like, are you are you really going to that much better of a situation? Here, here's the difference maker for me. Especially when you take, if you take away that fourth overall pick, Mo Alley Cox. Yeah, that dude's the difference. Mark Andrews. <laughs> I'm, I'm being sarcastic, but if, if you look at the receiver core, I mean, you got Isaiah McKenzie, solid player out of from Buffalo. That's true. He did sign over there. Alec Pierce. Who has shown he's a pretty decent receiver. And I like Michael Pittman more than I like Rashad Bateman. Michael Pittman. You have Vincent Smith. You have Malik Turner. You've got guys that can play. I, I try to improve that receiving core a little bit more. Get, For sure. They, they, For sure. Colts, Colts are kind of like... They, they tend to get a lot of their high-impact guys for some reason in the second round. 
I don't know why they're so good at hitting in all second round now, picks. Now you look at Baltimore and you go Rashad Bateman. Mark Andrews. Mark Andrews. J.K. Dobbins when he's healthy. J.K. Dobbins at running back when he's healthy. And a pretty good O-line. Pretty good O-line. Odell Beckham Jr. Like, that's what right. I'm saying. It, like, it about he, evens out. It, it, yeah. It's I mean, like, what's it's, your preference? Because, and here's the thing. Odell and Lamar, they had FaceTimed over the weekend. So, Lamar, to me, had very much a say. For sure. I, w- I would believe Lamar had a say and, like, talked with Odell. Like, hey, dog, come to Baltimore. You coming you come to Baltimore? I need, if you, if look, you come dog, to Baltimore, I, I'll stay. Dog, I need some help. Rashad Bateman, he's cool and all, and I love me some Mark Andrews, and I can run the ball when I want, but they ain't no Odell. No. I know you coming off that ACL, dog, but I'm I'm taking you over most. I just think that the Ravens overpaid for Lamar. I mean, for uh, Odell. 18 mil? It's a one-year deal, though. But 18 mil. Yeah. I mean, but you you got cap space for this year. That's a lot. That's a lot. And then say he absolutely balls out. You think he's going to take a cut in salary? No. You're still going to have to pay him $18 million a year when you extend him. But at some point, you're going to have to pay one of your receivers to be that top dog. I just don't know that I would have paid a guy that just came off a torn ACL that kind of money. That's that's a lot. Now, if it works out, you look great. But because here's the thing, you're talking about it's 18 in total. The base salary, it's 1.1. Yeah, I mean they're giving them a signing bonus. Yeah, they're they're gonna throw it all in as a signing bonus. Because like, but l- looking at the breakdown of the contract, he's a free agent in 2024. Because it's a one-year deal, but the signing—he's going to get signing bonus of two point seven six seven for the next four years. So that's where the eighteen in total comes in. Right. It's like he's got the base this year, the signing bonus for these five years, and overall, it just, it, it ends up adding up. Now, speaking of contracts, Giants running back Saquon Barkley says he does not plan to sign his franchise tender before the team's offseason program begins on Monday, which makes him ineligible to participate in said offseason program. Oof. Oof, oof, oof. Does Saquon play for the Giants again? Maybe. Maybe not. What I worry about, it's the same thing with the Ravens. Same thing with... I just... I don't see it working out. Because every time... To me, usually usually when you pay a running back a lot of money nowadays, which Saquon's going to command top dollar. Of course. Dude was the number two overall pick, and every year that he hasn't had to deal with injuries... He's balled out. He's absolutely balled out. Absolutely. And in an era where... He was a majority of their offense last year. Of course. And in an era where guys are not afraid to just sit on the sidelines, 
Because Saquon's probably sitting there saying, look. If anything, that's can, saving his body. I can go work out on my own and still be ready when somebody wants me. He's like, I don't have to play for you. I'm not a fan of it. I'm not a fan of guys sitting out. I, now I, don't, I don't think that it's the right move to make. Now, here's the thing. he The Giants may not be getting him, but what we've seen before with other guys like Le'Veon Bell, did that really work out for him? No. Because no, running backs every time, it was the same thing with Miles Sanders. It's the same thing with other running backs this offseason. They think they're worth more than guys, than other teams are willing to pay them. Yep. Because, like, look, you're a really good runner, but we could get other good runners for a lot cheaper. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so it's definitely going to be something to keep an eye on as, as the offseason progresses, especially into the draft here in about two weeks. But uh, we'll take a time out here on Crunch Time. When we return, we're going to the moon. We're going to talk Houston Astros with Brian Lalima of Apollo HOU and Sports Talk 790 right here on the game. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. If you want to take your lady out for a nice dinner, but you're low on cash, not to worry. The Game Clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com can help with your date night blues. Score a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester's Steakhouse and a $25 gift certificate to Mabel's Kitchen, both located at Cypress Bayou Casino Resort. And you can only score one of these great prizes by becoming a member of the Game Clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. It's free. It's simple. So go sign up today. Fly me to the moon. That's driven deep to left center field. Garner is going back. Looking out. See you later. See you later. Astros headed back to the World Series. Minkas and Nash are ready to launch into all things Houston Astros. Here is To the Moon on Crunch Time with Minkas and Mesh. To the Moon. On a Wednesday, we're some kind of monsters or something. Brian Lalima of Apollo HOU and Sports Talk 790 joins us here on the game hotline. Brian, what's going on, man? How are you? A little wild on Wednesday, boys. How are we feeling? Um, after that Astros game, pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, it was a big win for them today. Um, last night's win was, uh, it sucked to say the least. You know, Ryan Presley giving up the walk-off bomb. You know, it was... Uh, it sucks seeing that, but they turn around. They take care of business today. Hopefully this gets them going. Ryan Presley gave up a, a walk-off bomb to a guy that I'd never even heard of. Yeah, he's a rookie, and his last name's Bay. So put put uh, put whatever spin you want on that one. But, man, you know, when, when uh, Ryan Presley hangs a changeup like that down into a lefty coming across the plate, I mean, big league hitters are going to do that. So, yeah, it just it sucked, man, but I'm just happy – like I said, they turned around, made some adjustments today. Regman hit another bomb. Chad McCormick stayed hot. Mauricio Dubon is an all-star right now. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, it was a good win. Good first series win of the year for the Astros. You brought up Chaz McCormick, you know, two for four, two runs scored. He's hitting 275 so far this year. Brian, is, is it time that he's the everyday center fielder? I said that before opening day. I, I thought – you know, every everything he did in the postseason last year, 
I thought earned him the opening day spot at, in center field. Uh, but Dusty Baker, and we know about Dusty Baker, he, he puts together several different lineups uh, throughout the year. And he had some run with Jake Myers, and we saw Jake Myers not really do anything with it. And so then, you know, for uh, Dusty Baker to have Chaz in the leadoff spot, and then he did a couple things down in the order, and he had to move Jeremy Payne out there. So, yeah, it, it, it's uh, – if he plays left when Jordan is DHing and you want to give um, Jake Myers more opportunities in center field or if you want Chaz in center with Corey Jolks in left, Corey Jolks as well is going to play himself into this lineup. So, to answer your question, yes, it, it should be Chaz McCormick every day. Now, I, I don't necessarily disagree, but the issue here is that I feel like Jake Myers is a guy – that needs at bats and plate appearances every day. So, yeah. do do you send him down to AAA if that's the case? Yeah, and and this is just my personal opinion. Jake Myers, from what I've seen and people I've talked to, he just hasn't really been the same since coming back from his injury. I do also think that he was rushed back from his injury, and you could tell that he just wasn't right. And then he got sent down. He hit pretty well in AAA for the Space Cowboys. I don't know, man. If you want to get him every day at bats, then yeah, you send him down um, and let him perform down there. You know, it's all going to come down to who performs the best between Dubon, Hensley, Chaz, Myers, and Corey Jolt. So I, I, I just think Jake Myers is the odd man out right now. You know, you brought up Alex Bregman's three run homer. It was the second home run in just as many days. You look at his batting average at 196, and I know he got off to a to a little bit of a slow start last year, and he really broke out of it to to have you know 93 RBIs on the season. Do you think maybe we could be seeing him coming into his own a little earlier this year? Yeah, so so I know the batting average is down. Do you have the stats pulled up in front of you? I, I don't have those right here in front of me. I, I do. He's I mean, you guys are. He's guys, hitting one ninety. Like you guys should be able to do it all. Am I right? He's hitting I mean, one ninety six with an OPS of six seventy two. What's uh, the OBP? The on base percentage is, I want to say it's three. On base percentage three thirty nine. Okay, so the OBP is going to go up for Alex Bregman. Just the other night, I can't remember if it was yesterday or the the first game of the series. He didn't get a hit, but he walked three times. So you know when when he's not getting hits he's still getting on base at a high percentage. And I know the numbers, it's, it's not, you know, I thought it was, I thought it'd be at least over 400, but still like it's going to go up in my opinion. So Alex Bregman is like the ultimate grinder. And I know that might be a cliche saying, but he's going to look at every single thing in his at bat uh, with his load, his hand, his, uh, his mechanics uh, with his hands, the front side, the front hip. I mean, I can go on and on. So he's going to make adjustments. And you saw it two, two games in a row, two home runs. So, yeah, I think he might be coming into his own. And, and for this lineup, they're going to need it. So, at the, at the end of the day, he gets on base. He just, it's just what he does. Well, what's the latest? Has there been any update on Jose Altuve? I know right after his surgery they said eight to ten weeks. Um, but what, what's the latest? Uh, so, we had Dana Brown on our show on Sports Talk 7 on the Sean Salisbury Show uh, last week, we're going to have him tomorrow. Uh, since they had the early game today in Pittsburgh, we're going to have him on tomorrow, so we'll definitely get a another update. But from what he told us, um, he has movement in his thumb, uh, so that's obviously good. He's been moving the thumb around, so yeah, he should be. Uh, I think the timeline is still going to be the same. And he did say, Dana Brown did say that they're not going to rush him back. So 
I would say that timeline still holds true. We might see him a little bit earlier, meaning he might go down to Sugarland to get in a triple A stint with the Space Cowboys, but I think the timeline remains true. And then Michael Brantley, kind of the same thing. How close are we to seeing Michael Brantley back on the field? Uh, he's back in, in West Palm Beach uh, getting at-bats and getting ramped up. I would say probably May, uh, maybe beginning of May, so in a couple of weeks, maybe middle of May, uh, somewhere in May. Chatting with Brian Lalima of Apollo HOU and Sports Talk 790 in Houston. Now the Astros are going to switch gears and they're going to have a home series with the Texas Rangers. And, and, you know, it's always fun when the Lone Star Series comes around. You you play it, you know, a million times in, in the right. season. They're going to play 13 games this year. But the Texas Rangers, with the start that they're having, it's not the start that maybe people expected. And I know that's crazy to say when they're seven and four. But you know what? what what's the expectation for this series with an injury-ridden Houston Astros team? Well, I, I, if I'm not mistaken, Seager just went on the IL today. He did for the Rangers. Four weeks. So, yeah, so he's going to be down. So that that obviously hurts their lineup. Uh, their pitching staff is is pretty good. Obviously, they got Jacob Degrom. Um, uh, and Nathan Uvalde and a couple other guys. So, but at the end of the day, man, it, it's the uh, it's the Lone Star Series. It, it's always you know it hasn't really been heated here late because the Astros dominate the series. But for the Astros, you, you see the lineup being a little more consistent. You're coming back home after six games on the road. You won your first series. You get to get you have the day off tomorrow on Thursday, and then you turn around and you play Friday evening against the Rangers. I would say that that they're going to gear up. And, again, it's against the Rangers. It's the Lone Star Series. So I wouldn't be surprised with the consistency of the lineup if they take two out of three from the Rangers. Brian, it feels like to me that the Astros are, are trending, especially with Dana Brown now as the general manager, it feels like the Astros are trending towards a, a splash trade at, at the deadline. Uh, where, where could you see them making a move? What, what area of the field do, do you think they need the most help? So I, uh, it's it's funny, man. We talked about it this morning, uh, off air, off off of air uh, during commercial breaks. But we're already looking ahead to uh, the trade deadline, and and Dana Brown said it. Dana Brown's pretty transparent. You know, they're always looking to add pieces in. So when it comes to the deadline, I mean, it depends on what Chas McCormick does and what Jake Myers do, um, and, and what kind of what kind of production are we going to get when Lance McCullers comes back. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they tried to go get another arm. I wouldn't be surprised if they tried to go get some kind of outfielder. Um, I think those would be the two areas to look at, and that's probably what everybody's going to be doing. But also, if you can't get production um, offensively from uh, Yanir Diaz, you might see Corey Lee get brought up at some point, and Yanir Diaz gets sent back down to where Corey Lee gets at bat. They might even try to make a move for a catcher. I don't know. Uh, but I would say pitching and an outfielder. Brian Lalima of Apollo HOU and Sports Talk 790 joining us here for To the Moon. Brian, what's happening on the show tomorrow over there in H-Town? Oh, well, we got Dana Brown on, uh, so that's going to be – it's always fun. Man, and, and I know we, we always talk about the Astros, but <laughs> you guys are right there in, in, in uh, Louisiana, and I'm sure you've been talking about the Saints. Uh, for us, man, on the show, it's, it's Texans coverage, man. Like, like yesterday – there were so many Texans reports that came out about them not going after a quarterback in this draft. Like, so that's, that's going to dominate it. Obviously, we're going to preview the Lone Star Series. We've got Dana Brown on. 
Uh, probably, we're definitely going to get some updates on Lance McCullers, on Jose Altuve. So, uh, I mean, we do everything local, man. We talk about all of the sports teams. The, the Rockets are in a head coaching search, so it's crazy that in the same calendar year, the Texans and the Rockets, two of the professional sports teams here in the city of Houston, have the, have some of the top draft picks and ha- have had to go through head coaching searches. And then the Astros just keep doing what they're doing, and they just keep winning. Brian, appreciate your time, man. And uh, as always, we'll do it again next week. I look forward to it, guys. And we're going to be doing it back on Tuesday next week or what? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I look, I look forward to To the Moon Tuesday next week with you guys. Y'all enjoy it. At Brian Lalima of right. Apollo HOU and Sports Talk 790 in Houston joining us here on Crunch Time. We're going to take a time out when we return. Zach Nagy of LSU Country, he's going to join us. We'll talk some baseball. Plus, Matt McMahon got two really big transfers so far this season. One of them, a former Tiger. We'll talk about those two guys next A recent survey discovered that game listeners prefer our station over watching a mandated webinar at work. Thank you, everyone, for coming to this exciting meeting today to discuss... Take that, productivity in the workplace. This is The Game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. 437 here in the FCO Development Studios, Matt Miguez, James Mesh. Let's talk some LSU fighting Tigers now, baseball and basketball with our guy Zach Nagy of LSU Country. Zach, really appreciate your time, man, on this Wednesday afternoon. How you doing? Doing well, guys. How about yourself? Oh, absolutely fantastic, man. Um, look, you know, talking about LSU baseball, number one team in the country, picked up a big win over Tulane last night. I, I know people were a little nervous for a little while because if you look at Tulane's record, you know, obviously it, it doesn't look good. Um, but, man, I I said it last night, and I'll say it again, I think Tulane's a better team than the record might indicate. Uh, what were your thoughts on the game last night? You know, Tulane always kind of gives LSU trouble. And, you know, right now the bullpen for LSU has been struggling to a degree just because they've been battling injuries, whether it's Garrett Edwards, Chase Shores. Just you don't have as many bodies as you had coming into the season initially. But, you're getting production from other guys, and last night was kind of the same story. You went deep into your bullpen, you saw success, and got things going at the plate again. You know, Gavin Dugas has been somebody who's come up clutch this season. You know what you're going to get from Tommy White. You're going to get a you're going to get an extra base hit almost routinely, and that was kind of the same story last night against Tulane in New Orleans. It was nice to go get a midweek game on the road, come up with a victory because usually on these Tuesday night games they're always in the box. So to go down the road to Tulane and get a win out there was a really Really good win for Jay Johnson's group, just because historically Tulane's been, you know, a, a program that can give a challenge. Tommy White going through a, a nice run, like you mentioned. You know what you're going to get out of him. 54 RBIs so far on the season. Braden Jobert with a, a big home run, a two-run shot in the seventh. But one guy that has really impressed me over the last couple of weeks, both offensively and defensively. Talk about the play of Jordan Thompson. Jordan Thompson. He's a character, man. He, he, he's somebody who has a big personality. And coming into the season, you know, you weren't – you didn't think you were going to get a power hitter at the plate, but that's precisely what he's done. And today we were talking to Jay Johnson, and somebody was asking, do you think he could get 20-plus home runs on the season? And it's not a far-fetched thought at this point in the year. So Jordan Thompson is an excellent defender. He, he's great in the field. But at the plate this season has been somewhere that he's just been absolutely shining. He's been Mr. Reliable, coming up clutch. 
him and Gavin Dugas both have been two guys who have really shined at the plate and kind of taken on a really good leadership role for this program. And everything that Jordan Thompson has provided this team has been a spark in the right direction and comes up clutch when you need him almost every single time. You know, looking at the season as a whole, you, you got to start with with Dylan Cruz. I mean, hitting five oh five on the season, just absolutely putting up ridiculous numbers, video game numbers almost. What you, you know, you look at last year, and Dylan Cruz had a great year last year as well, but it just feels different this year. What what stood out about what Dylan Cruz has done so far in twenty twenty three? It's his consistency. Um, when it comes to Dylan Cruz, you know, he came into the season as a projected lock, not even a project, just a lock to go top three in the draft. And he's lived up to those expectations and then some on the field and off the field. He's a leader. And every single time you talk to one of these players or the coaching staff or really anybody that mentions Dylan Cruz, it's nothing but positive things. He's just an outstanding person, an outstanding player. He, he was riding, a, I believe it was like a 26-game hit streak. It got snapped, but just his consistency at the plate, just like I was saying with Tommy White, it's repetitive, but you know what you're getting from Dylan Cruz night in and night out. Hitting over 500 this deep into the season is unheard of, and saying video game numbers doesn't even do it justice. It's truly remarkable what this, what this cat's capable of. So he, he's doing everything on and off the field. You talk to the freshmen, whether it's Brady Neal, he's a Florida, he's a Florida native, and he was talking really highly of Dylan Cruz, kind of just saying that he's a, he's a Florida legend. He's a household name out in those parts, and now he's becoming a household name nationally, and you're going to hear his name at the top of the draft come this season. And you, you, you're looking at somebody who could potentially just be a generational talent. He, he's remarkable, and he's living up to those expectations this season. Like I said, both on and off the field. Chatting with Zach Nagy here of LSU Country, looking at basketball with Matt McMahon. You know, this off season, you, you've lost a couple of players with Adam Miller hitting the transfer portal. Obviously, KJ Williams out of eligibility but you've replaced some of that production by bringing in guys like Jalen Cook you know talk, talk about the transfers that McMahon has worked on so far this offseason and how they really feel like they could help LSU been a really active last couple of weeks for Matt McMahon and this LSU basketball program in the portal you've lost six players including you know starter Adam Miller he, he had a down season, of course, but that's still somebody who's a tremendous leader, and he's done great things for this program when healthy. You lose a guy like Cornelius Williams. You, you lose numerous guys, but you're adding bodies. Like you said, you add Jalen Cook, a two-lane transfer, who started off his career in Baton Rouge with, with LSU under, under Will Wade. He, he ended up departing and going to Tulane and doing his thing over there, but you're adding a 20-point-per-game scorer. Jalen Cook's a two-time all-conference player. Averages 20 points, five assists a night. Just an absolute bucket getter. And he's incredible at getting the guys around him better. Averaging five assists in college is pretty, pretty solid for somebody who can take on more of a scoring role. So Jalen Cook's a guy who can come in and do everything that you need. And then the guy who's going to be right next to him in the backcourt is Jordan Wright, Vanderbilt transfer, Baton Rouge native as well. Jordan Wright is a tremendous, tremendous player. And he was Coach Jerry Stackhouse's first recruit out at Vanderbilt. And he went and helped turn around the Vanderbilt program. So he's not shy to going to a situation that isn't perfect. He helped rebuild a program in Nashville at Vanderbilt. And he knows what he's coming into in Baton Rouge as well. Speaking to him last week, he knows that there's going to be some challenges. It's going to be a roller coaster ride. But he's expecting a couple more dominoes to fall in the transfer portal. Obviously, like I said, you've added Jordan Wright. You've added Jalen Cook. 
but more guys are on the way potentially. This, this, this coaching staff has been in contact with several, several prospects, including another Louisiana native who went to Dunham out in Baton Rouge, Carlos Stewart. He's a Santa Clara transfer. He averaged over 15 a game last season out there in a very you know, solid conference. So keep, keep tabs on Carlos Stewart. He's a guy who is from here. McMahon's been in contact with him. He's played ball with Jordan Wright. So there's a, there's a lot of you know, common ground when it comes to Carlos Stewart and a lot more guys that could potentially be making their way down to Baton Rouge, including two guys who just came off visits, Will Baker and B.J. Mack. B.J. Mack out of Wofford's a tremendous target for this program. He's going to be taking four more visits. But this basketball program is, is doing their work in the transfer portal. I'll tell you that. I could go on and on, but they, they're, doing, they're, they're doing their due diligence in the portal. Right as we talk about this, it's just announced that Kendall Coleman is transferring to Cal Baptist. Um, you know, you brought up Jordan Wright. You brought up Jalen Cook. Obviously, you just mentioned Carlos Stewart as a potential guy. The the question, the next question that I'm going to ask, you know, you hear a lot of people say, oh, Matt McMahon's not the guy. I don't think Matt McMahon's a good coach. Look, it's it's been a year. You know, from from your position and from your perspective being, you know, in those interview rooms every single day, what what do you what do you tell people when when, when they say things like that? I say the same statement every single time somebody tries to critique McMahon. That's Rome wasn't built in the day. <clears throat> you came into a situation that was absolutely destroyed. You returned three scholarship players. You returned really nothing. And you built a roster and a program from scratch. Obviously, the non-conference schedule was weak, and they dominated in that regard. But you picked up a great win over Arkansas, and it went downhill from there. But when it comes to McMahon, he's a great person, great coach. The results are going to come. He's a winner. He's won everywhere he's at. And it's just really a matter of time. You were looking at a roster that consisted of not particularly SEC-caliber players, and you're starting to see some of those guys dwindle out. And he's going to rebuild, and he's bringing in talent. And he's a winner, and he's going to get what he wants. And I think ultimately he's going to build a winning program, and that's precisely what you know Baton Rouge, LSU is all about. Zach Nagy with LSU Country joining us. You know, looking ahead to baseball this weekend, a three-game set with Kentucky at the box. What's the expectation this weekend? What do you like about the matchup with the Wildcats? How many games does LSU win? You know, getting a sweep in the SEC is so challenging. Every team is incredible. Jay Johnson says it all every single time. It's the best conference in baseball. It's not even close. And, you know, anybody who knows ball knows that. Obviously say win two games, win the series is the goal. But it's going to be a challenging weekend. You look at Kentucky's schedule, I think they're number one in RPI. So they, they, they've had their fair share of challenges. And we'll, we'll see how they do, but it's all going to be how this bullpen goes. You're already going to be without Garrett Edwards. You're going to be without Chase Shores. So you're down several bodies, but you've seen guys step up like Griffin Herring, a true freshman who's starting to come into the rotation more and more. You have a lot of guys who can make an impact, and then you know what you're getting at the plate. Like I've said a million times, you have Dylan Cruz, Tommy White, Gavin Dugas, Jordan Thompson, we were talking earlier, is evolving into something special. You know what you're going to get at the plate. I expect us to win this series, win at least two games, and take home another SEC series in the box. Zach Nagy of LSU Country joining us here on Crunch Time. Zach, really appreciate your time. Enjoy the weekend out at the box, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon, my friend. I appreciate it, my guy. Let's do it again. And there he goes, Zach Nagy of LSU Country. We'll take a time out here. We'll wrap up hour number one right after this.
This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. The world-famous Angola Prison Rodeo is coming back in the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles has free tickets for you. Text Rodeo to 337-283-8100 for the Angola Prison Rodeo, April 22nd and 23rd. You can see all the excitement from bull riding to wild horse racing and even convict poker. Once again, text Rodeo to 283-8100 to watch the world-famous Angola Prison Rodeo courtesy of Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. They could debate who should win the MVP, but they'd rather argue who has the best hair in sports talk radio. We just wash the hair. You know, I work on my hair a long time, and you, and you hit it. It hits my hair. Now back to more of the stylish crunch time with Miguez and Mash here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Crunch Time as we're wrapping up hour number two of three here on the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles as we're broadcasting live from the FCO Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette. FCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in multifamily construction. Don't forget to vote on the poll question of the day. This one is a foodie poll question since it is a Wednesday. What type of diff what type of dish is do you consider macaroni and cheese to be? Do you think it's a side dish? you think it's more of an entree? Maybe just a late night snack type of thing? Or do you think maybe it's all of the above? So far, it's pretty tight between side dish and all the above. Not as many people are looking at entree or late night snack. 49.2 is going towards side dish. 47.5 is going to all the above. While 1.7% is going to entree and late night snack some of your comments don't forget to comment and like and share on twitter and facebook rob says all the above i love mac and cheese i mean matt who doesn't love mac and cheese me you don't love mac and cheese not really i mean i'm not the biggest fan of it i'm it depends on what it is though because there's some places that just do it absolutely wrong yeah i'm i'm i'll eat it every now and again but i don't crave it but like my wife She'll eat it as like her whole meal. Correct. Like out of the blue, she'll just walk in the kitchen, cook a pot of mac and cheese and eat it. And I just don't understand how you can do that. I, I've, I've never understood that. Um, so no, not, not a huge fan of mac and cheese. But if it's there, more times than not, I'll eat it. JK says mac and cheese with grilled rabbit sausage. Ooh. Otherwise affectionately known as crack and cheese by my peeps. It's a meal. Steve says, it depends on your income. When I was first out on my own, it was dinner right. at least three nights three nights right. a week. You can relate to that. Since then, I don't remember eating it three times. LOL. Ralph, I'd also categorize it as a comfort food, which, yeah, a lot of people do categorize it as a comfort food. My mom made, it, made hers with spaghetti, so we called it spaghetti and cheese. But it was what? the highlight of every holiday meal, and we're... Make taking it homemade and not boxed, right? Ralph, Ralph, <laughs> that's almost as bad as putting cheese on your red beans. Well, to be fair, what my what my family does sometimes, we kind of do a easy cheesy chicken spaghetti, where it's like you know spaghetti noodles, and then you mainly do Velveeta cheese. Correct. 
and then and then and then you and then you throw in shredded chicken, cheesy chicken spaghetti. That's that's a normal meal. But instead of the macaroni pasta, you're doing spaghetti. What's going on? Or are you making spaghetti with macaroni noodles? Either way, it's strange. Either way, I'm confused. Right. Tan says it's a pizza topping is what it is. I don't... mm. I am not the type to put macaroni on my pizza. So I've had a macaroni and cheese pizza because it's a thing. Did you find a fire? It's actually not bad. Like, what would you rate it? Seven? Six and a half. Six and a half? Mid? Yeah. It's okay. I could go without it, but I would eat it kind of thing. Yeah. John Paul says, yes, side dish, unless you mix it with something like ground beef, then it becomes a main course. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, like that, it, that's like hamburger you could, helper. Yeah, <laughs> basically is hamburger <laughs> that's helper. hamburger helper. So, yeah, like you could almost do it as a protein bowl because we had talked about that earlier. And then B-Rad said, by itself, it's a side dish, but add some meat and maybe some rotel to it. Then you have it as an entree. Which, if my wife is at home listening, I would like Hamburger Helper for dinner, please. I'd like to make a formal request. Right. Please. <laughs> Just please. text her during the break. Oh, man. So, we've been on the air now for two hours. A little more than two. Two and a half hours. Two hours, 15 minutes-ish. Still have a whole nother hour to go, and we are going to kick this hour off with an absolute bang. It's the voice of the Tigers, Mr. Chris Blair. He's going to join us on the game hotline to kick off hour number two. We're going to recap last night's game against Tulane. We'll look ahead to the series with Kentucky this weekend inside Alex Box Stadium. We'll also get his thoughts on spring football as well all of that and much more coming up to kick off our number two right here on the game it's 1037 Lafayette and 1041 in Lake Charles Southwest Louisiana Sports Station broadcasting live from the FCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette FCO Development is a civil construction company specializing in new multifamily construction don't forget the game hotline is 337-706-0111 and you can check us out on our simulcast by going to Stadium 30 or channel 133 if you have LUS Fiber. We'll kick off hour number two, or technically hour number three of Crunch Time with Chris Blair right after this top of the hour sports update. You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Hour number three of Crunch Time here on the game at Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. Matt Miguez, James Mesh, give us a call on the game hotlines 337-706-0111 as we are once again broadcasting live from the Evco Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette. And here in Acadiana, you can also check us out on our simulcast, Stadium 32.3 and Channel 133 on LUS Fiber. Throughout the show today, we've talked about the Louisiana Raging Cajuns picking up a win over Louisiana Tech last night. They're on the road again tonight to play southeastern Louisiana before they return home to play a three-game set with Troy. Cajun softball dropping a close one to Baylor last night. They will bounce back with a game in College Station against the Aggies of Texas A&M. 
and LSU baseball picked up a big win over Tulane last night down at Uptown New Orleans. Here in our number three, we're going to do Who Dat Wednesday with our guy Brendan Ertle. Talk about the New Orleans Saints as we are a little over two weeks away from the NFL draft. Uh, we'll get his thoughts on the offseason program, where things stand for the black and gold, and much more. But before we do that, let's talk more about the Bayou Bengals with the voice of the LSU Fighting Tigers, Mr. Chris Blair. He joins us on the game hotline now. Chris, thank you so much for taking the time on this busy Wednesday. How are you, sir? I'm doing good, man. I'm out here at the ballpark watching my son play high school baseball, so you caught me at a good time, a relaxing Wednesday, and the rain's held off so far. Let's hope it'll stay away for the next couple of days. So is is there anything better than watching baseball just nonstop throughout this stretch? <laughs> well, I mean, you, you have to believe so. Otherwise, uh, I guess you'd be miserable because that's pretty much what we got. Uh, but, no, it's a thrill, man, to be able to go to the ballpark. Again, you know, when it comes to LSU, get to watch – you know, arguably one of the most talented teams ever at LSU, top to bottom. It's certainly one of the most talented teams I've ever watched with my own eyes at the college level. So, uh, yeah, it's a thrill. You know, looking at the game last night, an 11-5 to win for the Tigers over Tulane. You scored two in the third, two in the fifth, two in the seventh, and then you cap it off with three in the ninth. For the first three innings, it was really neck and neck between these two groups, but then the Tigers were able to settle in in the middle innings and really start to run away with it. What did you see from, from the press box last night? Well, actually, I got to see that game uh, like everybody else on television. I actually was at my son's senior night. So I uh, took the night off for the Tulane game, but did watch the game. And, you know, talked to Jay on Monday night during his show, and he mentioned the fact that, you know, this is a much more talented team than their record indicates. I mean, he basically said, you know, they may have scheduled, especially in non-conference play, maybe a little too difficult. That is Tulane. And he felt like, again, 3-3 three and three in the American Athletic Conference, that they'd have a chance to maybe even battle. Uh, eventually when the season is all said and done near the top of the conference. So, you know, the story on the green wave, I think, is yet to be told. But, uh, again, it's one of those deals where LSU is so talented. Uh, you're going to come out of the gate. You're going to play at Turchin Stadium. You're going to give it everything you have. But, eventually, more times than not, talent takes over. And watching the game last night, that's pretty much what it looked like to me. Uh, hard to keep that type of offense down. You know, May can do it for an inning or two. Uh, but to do it for nine innings is very difficult, and I'm sure Tulane found that out last night. Yeah, 19 base hits by the Tiger offense. You know, you look at guys like Tommy White and Dylan Cruz, they're really doing exactly what you expected them to. I mean, Dylan Cruz just continues to put up video game-type numbers uh, with his 505 batting average 32 games into the season. But one guy that's been really impressive to me over the last couple of weeks is Jordan Thompson, not only from an offensive perspective, but from a defensive perspective as well. What what have you seen out of the LSU shortstop? Well, I think he's much improved from a year ago. Uh, and one thing about Jordan is you can go back throughout his career, uh, even back to the 21 season on that run to the Super Regionals that ended in Knoxville. I mean, he was integral in the Tigers winning that regional out in Oregon with clutch hits, and he just seems to have it. Uh, when the pressure is there, when it's a must-hit situation, you know, more times than not, uh, Jordan's been able to deliver. And, you know, the job he did in the offseason to improve himself 
as a shortstop because he has all the natural tools. Um, and Jay Johnson said he noticed that from the time he arrived on campus taking over the head job that, you know, Jordan's got everything that a guy needs. He needed to work on his footwork a little bit. Sometimes his errors last year were because he led with the wrong foot, got off balance. This year he's improved that. Of course, he's got an electric arm and can make plays that a lot of shortstops, even if they field the ball, still can't make. Um, so, again, he's, he's an asset to this team, and he's one of many that when you look at this LSU lineup, guys, you know, you know what you're getting with Dylan Cruz batting over 500. You know what you're getting with Tommy White, which is power to all fields. Gavin Dugas, the top of the order, has been on a tear here of late, got power. Trey Morgan is as skilled a batter as you'll find in college baseball. And then, oh, by the way, you got Jordan Thompson, you got Jared Jones. I mean, it just, there's really not a lot of easy outs in this lineup, and it really presents a challenge to any pitching staff, non conference or SEC. You know, you mentioned meeting with Jay Johnson Monday night during his coaches show, and you talked about how he said that Tulane was a better team than their record indicated. For our listeners that might have missed the coaches show, what else did did he have to say about this Tigers baseball team? Well, he talked a lot about how until he gets some of these pitchers back, you know, there's going to be some guys that really have to step up for LSU, um, not only in the starting role, but certainly out of the bullpen. And the good thing about LSU this year is, you know, they are pretty deep as compared to last year where, again, it was kind of the same usual suspects out of the bullpen because that's all they had. There's some guys that maybe haven't thrown as much, and he talked about the guys that are going to have to get more innings probably during the midweek, which is why for the third straight week you saw a number of arms come out uh, and try to get their confidence up, try to get their control and command. But I think that's one of the things that is, is his biggest concern is he has the talent. As he told me Monday, I have all the faith in the world in our bullpen, but they've got to go out and make it happen. So they'll be tested again this coming week against Kentucky. And then secondly, I think his big point was Kentucky is a very good team. He knows Coach Mingione. They're friendly. Uh, he says, look, they're going to do everything in the world to scratch runs across. I mean, they'll lay down bunts. They'll sacrifice. Um, they're going to use every tool at their disposal to scratch runs across. And so far this year, outside of dropping two at Georgia this past Sunday, I mean, they've probably been the surprise team in the SEC. We knew what we were getting with LSU. You knew what you were getting with Florida, Vanderbilt, and Tennessee. Uh, but I think Kentucky making some noise, especially over in the East, uh, brings a very formidable foe into the box this weekend. You talked about that matchup with Kentucky, and, and you kind of mentioned what, what – Jay Johnson had said about it with them being a really good team and coming in to to try to stunt the Tigers' momentum. On the other side of that coin, what do you think LSU has to do from both sides of the field to really keep the momentum in their favor as you head into the real heat of the SEC schedule? Well, you want, number one, to get Paul Skeens to be able to pitch the game that, you know, he should be able to pitch. South Carolina, unfortunately, did not allow that last Thursday. Uh, he only got to pitch three innings, only got to throw 49 pitches, and had eight strikeouts. So he was well on his way to double-digit strikeouts uh, once again uh, for LSU. So he'll set the tone tomorrow. And, you know, Paul's just got to be Paul, and LSU, I think, will be be quite all right, uh, again, with the offense they possess. When you've got a guy that is fanning batter after batter, uh, makes it fairly easy to win those games. And then, you know, in game two, I think you're looking for Ty Floyd to improve. He, he did not have his best outing, uh, although LSU was able to come back and win that game. He got touched up a little bit, got down early against South Carolina. 
and we know what Ty can do. So you need a strong outing from Ty Floyd. And offensively, I think LSU just does what they do. I mean, that's what Jay said after losing 13-5 to to South Carolina. I sat with him in the duckout before game two, and he said, look, I told the guys, you want to be the team that you think you are, you want to be the team that you want to be, then go out and do it. That doesn't mean puffing your chest out. That just means going out, being solid fundamentally, being confident at the plate, being aggressive at the plate, and being mentally sound uh, in the field. And that's exactly what they did in game two, was able to come from behind, get an 8-7 victory, and tie that series up. And to me, that was the gutsiest win of the year so far for this Tiger team. They had a lot of things going against them, whether or not it is certainly included in that. Uh, and, and they were able to find a way to win. So I think LSU just needs to be LSU. Spring football in full swing for this LSU football team. You know, year number two for Brian Kelly. Uh, what, what's the mindset for this group? What's the expectation for this team in year two? And where do you think this team can go? Well, I think with Brian Kelly at the helm, everything's moving in a positive direction. That's just the nature of what he does and has done for over three decades as a head coach. So uh, all systems go for LSU. Obviously, it was reported to start spring practice. Not everybody's available. Some of them have to heal up, get ready, and they'll be ready to go once they start individual workouts in the summer, obviously leading into fall camp. But all indications are this is going to be another talented team. You know, another year under the belt with Coach Kelly, his system, both coordinators. Um, so, again, I think the expectations are high, and they should be. And nobody's going to back down from those expectations, certainly not anybody that works for Brian Kelly and certainly not the players who are going to put on the purple and gold. So, Optimism is high. There's no doubt about it here in Baton Rouge and all across Louisiana for LSU fans. And, uh, again, they'll get a – just like last year, it'll be a huge test right out of the box this time in Orlando against a Florida State team that's also returning quite a bit of uh, their talent. So it, it's going to be a good one. Looking forward to the end uh, in the spring game, get a little glimpse of, of the work that's been done. Uh, but we'll find out more when we get to August. Chris Blair, the voice of the LSU Fighting Tigers, joining us here on crunch time chris really appreciate your time uh get back to your son's baseball game and uh, we'll talk to you again soon you got it my friend thanks for having me on and there he goes the voice of the lsu fighting tigers chris blair joining us here on this wednesday edition of crunch time we'll go ahead and take a time out here at 5 13 when we return here from zion williamson on his injury status where things stand for him and the pelicans plus we have more audio from lsu head coach jay johnson all that and more right here on the game this is crunch time on the game 1037 lafayette and 1041 lake charles southwest louisiana's sports station your home for the lsu tigers and houston astros the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, is your home for the McNeese Coaches Show, presented by Mr. Bill Seafood Express, Southwest Beverage Company, Line of Bed out of Westlake, and the Southwest Louisiana Law Center. Tune in tonight at 6 as Jim Gazzola will be talking all things Cowboys. You can hear it right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. It is your home for the McNeese Coaches Show. Let your voice be heard. Hello. Give us a call on the hotline at 337-706-0111 and speak your mind. Yellow. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back. 517, almost 518. James Mesh. So we've been on the air now two and a half hours? 
It's a lot longer than we normally do. We're already about 30 minutes longer than we normally do, and we've got another 40 minutes to go. You hanging in there? How you how you feeling, bud? Chilling. It's a little longer than we're used to, but I mean, hey. Chilling like a villain? Nah. Like a hero. Chilling like a hero. Yeah. That doesn't rhyme at all. No. But that wasn't my intention. Okay. That's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. I think it will. 518 <laughs> here on your Wednesday. Zion Williamson, we talked about it earlier in the show. He met with the media earlier this week, and the message has been pretty clear. He'll return to playing when he feels like Zion. Uh, I mean, physically, I'm fine. Now it's just a matter of uh, like when I feel like Zion. Um, you know, I, I know the atmosphere I'd be entering. Uh, based off like the playoff experience. Uh, so now it's just a matter of when I feel like Zion. To piggyback off of that, Zion was asked, you know, what is it holding you back mentally that makes you not feel like Zion? Um, it's a little bit of a mental battle. Because, uh, you know, when I uh, re-aggravated it back in February, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, it was tough. So when I go to make certain moves, there is that hesitation. Sometimes there's not, but sometimes there is. And uh, I understand the magnitude of these games coming up, and I don't want to be out there hesitating or doing something that may affect my team in a bad way. Williamson was also asked about his teammate Brandon Ingram and the play of the team while he's been away. Uh, I tell B.I. all the time, I said, man, uh, being at those games, man, B.I. is, B.I. is different. And when I sit there and I watch him make the plays he makes offensively and defensively, I'm just like, I'm, I'm genuinely shocked sometimes. Not because I don't think he can't do it, but just like, man, like this dude is an elite basketball player. And then, you know, watching Herb make the plays he makes, Trey, like, steadily growing. Um, CJ, uh, he's really been locked in defensively, um, and his three-point shot has been falling a lot. Uh, so just watching the team grow, that uh, do a lot for my mental. You know, when, when you look at the Pelicans tonight with their play-in game, James, in, in your opinion – if you had to give keys to victory for the Pelicans, what do they have to do tonight to move on? I would say don't worry too too much about Shea. I mean, you can I mean definitely you're gonna want to try and stop him, but I think he's still gonna get his thirty just about no matter what. So I wouldn't put too much emphasis on trying to slow him down and have him score twenty or less. I think trying to slow down everyone else because if you can stop Josh Giddy, if you can stop the other guys on that team like Lou Dort and not have to and make sure that they're not a huge factor both offensively and defensively, I think that's going to set you up really well because we've seen it, especially with the Blazers. I mean, Damian Lillard can score 40, 50 all he wants. Trailblazers are still probably going to lose at that point. So to me, don't worry as much about Shea. Let him do him. But don't let him absolutely take over the game and keep them in it late. Because if you can 
get the rebounds. If Trey can still do his thing, B.I. still be the focus mainly on the offense. And as long as C.J. doesn't go 0 for 11 (laughs) from three, you should be able to win this game. If C.J. goes 0 for 11, you were just destined to be done. Um, But yeah, I mean, that's kind of the mindset when you look at teams like the Thunder. Don't worry about the superstar. Let him get his. Because he's not going to beat you single-handedly. The likelihood of that happening is very, very low. And if it does happen, again, you were destined to be done. It was just not meant to be. Stop everybody else. Let Shea get 40, hold everybody else to a combined 50, and you're going to win the game. Unless you absolutely crap the bed, which, again, go back to the point. I think if you're the Pelicans, not only do you control guys like Josh Giddy and Lou Dort, I think you really need to have another night from Herb Jones. I want to see Herb Jones step up and have 25-plus points and just be a menace defensively. You want to see who I... You want to know who I want to see on the court get some more minutes? Can I take a guess? Go for it. Is it Dyson Daniels? Yes. Thank you. I want to see more Dyson. Thank you. Because he's been a spark for the Pelicans at points, offensively and defensively. Thank you. I've been saying that for weeks now. The guy can play ball. I understand having a slight amount of trepidation because he's a rookie. Well, you like that trepidation? That's an educated-ass word right there. But I get that idea, okay? He's 19. He's 20. He's a young rookie that makes rookie mistakes. However, okay. he played basically a full year of just about pro basketball with the Ignite played, last he year. He played in the G League. It's not much different. It's not much different. Is the talent gap different? Sure. But is the style of play the same? You bet. That was some valuable experience you got out of him. It's the same style of play. It, it just feels like it's the same vibe from what we saw with Coach Green and Trey Murphy last year, where it was like, whenever you saw Trey, you felt good about it. And you're like, this guy's pretty good. I'm glad they drafted him. I'm but just, you never see him. I'm just saying, last year, this point of the season... All you heard from the crowd was, Jose, 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 Jose. Like in those young guys to be the spark. Dyson Daniels would be the same thing. Right. Let him play. Dyson might. And guess what? Jose's hurt. Even more of a reason to play Dyson Daniels. Good eye, Daniels. Oh, man. There's a small iota of me that hopes the Pelicans lose because (gasps) I don't know if my blood pressure can handle it. I know, I I sound just like Kevin Foote. But, I mean, being a Pelicans fan is just like riding a roller coaster that never ends. It's like riding a roller coaster that never ends. Because you get on these highs, like, okay, when they were first place in the West. Woohoo! And then you bottom out. And then you go on a win streak. And then you bottom out. 
And then, you know, it kind of goes in a circle for a little while. And then you kind of plateau into the postseason. Do something. If you're going to make a run, make a run. But if the season's going to end tonight, then let the season end tonight and move on. But stop toying around with people's emotions and just do something. That's my advice to the Pelicans. <laughs> Got <he. laughs> Got <laughs> Sometimes when you play a drop, I just can't. I, I can't keep the straight face. You're not used to it yet. Player of the game tonight is who? I'm going B.I. Ooh, that's juicy. Mm-hmm. Who you got? Jonas Valanciunas. Ooh, Jonas. I think Jonas so, has so a if Jonas is So if Jonas is going to be the player of the game, you're looking for him to get about 20 or 13. Yeah. That's what you're looking for. Yeah. Maybe get maybe get a block or two. Block or two would be nice. That would be pretty swag. Three or four assists from the paint. You know, a little everybody collapses in, you kick it out kind of thing. Because at that point, it's like you would look for like 23, 24. So shoot, you know, eight, nine for 15. 16? Yeah, I mean... And then, and then you grab 12 rebounds, five of them offensive. Just got a great point on Twitter from LC. Dyson Daniels is much better than Josh Richardson. Plus, Josh Richardson has already hit his ceiling. I see no lies told. Now, is Josh Richardson's ceiling a bad player? No, I think Josh Richardson's a great player. I think he's solid. And I think he's doing exactly what the Pelicans need him to do. But we don't need to see him for that long. But we're talking about a young guy at 20 years old that at 20 years old is better than Josh Richardson. I don't disagree with that. Let him play. Point blank end of discussion. If the Pelicans lose tonight... And Dyson Daniels, or any young guy for that matter, doesn't make an impact on the game or or play valuable minutes. I think a lot of people are going to... Some people have already started. I'm going to start questioning some of the decision-making of Willie Green. I think Willie Green's a great coach. I think he can be an even better coach. He's still a young guy. It's his second year as a head coach. But some of the decisions that are made, I kind of just look at like, dude, what are you doing? (laughs) You serious? You serious? What are you doing? So, look, if if you don't want to have to answer questions, get a dub tonight. Because if you get a win tonight and then you lose on Friday in the last play-in game, it's still not great, but that's different. It would be like, you're down 3-2 in a series. You forced a Game 7 and then lost in Game 7. It's still not great. You still lost. But I'd rather lose in Game 7 than lose in Game 6. I'd rather force a Game 7 than be kicked out in Game 6. I don't quite look at it the same with that. Because for you to get to a Game 7, you would have had to have made the playoffs. 
I mean, fair, but it's a similar concept. It, it's a similar concept, but I still don't necessarily look at it like that because your whole goal was you would take a step forward and make it to the second round of the playoffs. If you maybe make a, maybe make a run to the conference championship if you were just that and good. Losing, losing in the play-in's a giant But then step you back. lose in the play-in. It's like That's a I understand Z- I, I understand Zion missed a big chunk of the season, so did BI. He missed all of last year. Right. And you made the playoffs. And Zion actually played this year. You haven't had Jose either, but it was like still you've instead of taking Oof. a forward, a step forward, you took a step back. Oof, you took and that's two, an issue. You took two steps back if you'd lose tonight. But look, I, do I think the future of the Pelicans is fine? Yeah, I do. I think Zion's going to get healthy. I think B.I.'s continuing, he's going to continue to do what B.I. does. You're going to get Jose back. You're going to get contribution from Trey Murphy, Najee Marshall, Jose Alvarado. And I, I think you, you could make a run next year. Um, but but this year I I just don't know how realistic that is anymore. But anyways, five thirty one. We're gonna take a timeout here. When we return, Brendan Ertle joins us for Who Dat Wednesday. We'll talk all things black and gold right here on the game. He's gonna go touchdown Saints. Who's ready for some New Orleans Saints talk? We are. Here is Who Dat Wednesdays with Canal Street Chronicles Brendan Ertle on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. Hollywood, what's going on? <laughs> What's up? Doing good. How the heck are you, Hollywood? I'm doing good. Uh, you know, uh, I, I don't think I have a, the best last name for for usernames, so uh, it, it's a good alternative. This man calls himself Hollywood. I don't. So no, no, you got to tell you got to tell the story. How, how how did how did you get the nickname Hollywood? So you know, in high school, uh, I, I've had a lot of nicknames growing up. Um, and you know, my name's pretty easy to, to have, uh, nicknames for. And I showed up to a tennis match, probably overdressed and, uh, someone said it and it stuck. And, uh, I'm going to go with that cause that's the only one that makes me feel good. And, you know, you brought up high school. One, one more joke that I have to make before we move on. Um, you know, on our, on our simulcast, we make, hotline graphics for when our we have guests on the hotline and when we were making yours one of your senior pictures in your high school Ooh. football uniform popped up Ooh. Bro, I'm sorry whoever's making those absolutely dashing my friend well that was me <laughs> that was me but the more recent one i did was uh you when you were on the field for the yeah. saints game last year okay yeah with, you with can your, use that one I'm with, cool your, with, with that. your tyron matthew shirt on I'm cool with that. All right, so two and a half weeks until the NFL draft. You know, in your opinion, well, really a little less than that, two weeks from tomorrow. Um, in, in your opinion, has the Saints' mindset about the first round changed at all, or do you think they're still going defensively? No, I, I don't think it's changed at all. Um, but I, I still think wholeheartedly they, they could take best available. And I think this draft – uh, in particular, I, I think last year's was very important, but I think this year's is a lot more important in terms of the future outlook of this team. You know, Derek Carr will be whatever he will be, but no matter what, this draft will kind of make or break, you know, what Derek Carr will be two to three years from now. Because we had that, you know, we had that Lattimore draft, 
you get the Camaro draft. You have these drafts where it kind of resets your roster and you feel good about where you're at. I, and right now, I feel really good about where we're currently at. If the Saints didn't have any picks, I'd still feel okay because there are some solid pieces in free agency you can go pick up. There's some good DTs. There's some great defensive ends still. And there's tons of, there's tons of depth in free agency still. And I think that they will, they will revisit that. But in terms of, you know, six weeks down the road and people start to get banged up or uh, even looking at next year, there are some holes. This roster is really thin. So they could go out there and take a tight end or a, a wide receiver, and I wouldn't be mad. They could go out there and take a corner or a, a guard. I wouldn't be mad. I, I think the most important part of this draft is they just need to hit on whoever they take. Yeah, you know, I, I've seen some people talk about, you know, Darnell Washington. I've seen some people talk about the Kalasia Kansi out of Pitt. And then there's one guy that a lot of people talk about and he's a defensive tackle out of Northwestern. I'm not even going to try to pronounce his name because I'm going to butcher it. Um, mm-hmm. But but I've, I've seen people say to stay away from him. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I, I've never wanted to say his name either, but I've just been calling him Double A. His, his name starts with an A and ends with an A. So um, those, two, those two guys... Cansey and Double A, those are two guys I'm both worried about because the Saints draft based off of, you know, athleticism, height, weight, uh, RES score, and Cansey's uh, a guy I really like. And the the more you dig into his film, you're like, this guy is just a baller. You have to you have to love this guy. But then you look into the the RES part of it. Uh, he's short. He's barely six foot. Um, he's got 30 inch arms. Uh, and if you really compare that to everyone else, it's like, well, Aaron Donald's short. Yeah, but he has 33-inch arms. So there's are, there are things that are concerning about height, weight, um, and speed. And I, I, I don't think the Saints will be conservative, uh, but they definitely can't go out and take another Peyton Turner. They can't have another guy where it takes two to three years to figure it out. So I think they need to be a little bit more conservative, but they'll stick to their approach of, you know, taking the best athletes that, that they can. And Dennis, Dennis always says we're in the business of adding great football players and great talent. And I, I really think that they just need to find value at that spot, whether it's uh, trading up, staying there, or even trading back. I, I wouldn't be opposed to them trading back and getting value to what their pick is, where if you go back and look at Peyton Turner, I, they did not get good value for where they drafted Peyton Turner. I would have liked them in the second or third, uh, but not in that spot. So they need to give value at their current picks that they have. Now, I, I've seen some people talk about trading up to go get Bijan Robinson or uh, a Zay Flowers or maybe even a Jackson Smith and Jigba. Uh, w- would you be opposed to the Saints making a move like that? No, I, I wouldn't be opposed. I definitely wouldn't want to trade any next year picks. I wouldn't be opposed to trading, you know, the first or second or first or third, maybe kind of like what they did with Olave last year. Um, I mean, no one's complaining that they traded what a third, an extra third round pick to go get him. I'm sure people don't, don't even remember what they traded for Olave because it worked out. But, you know, if you do that and miss, uh, then it becomes an issue. So if, if they have someone that they love, uh, do it. Absolutely do it. You, you're in the spot right now, like we said, where, you can kind of do whatever you want. There's not like a glaring 
um, 100% you need to draft this guy. And uh, if there was a position, I think uh, they would, it would be running back. If uh, we're talking about needing to draft one, I think they need to draft a running back. They, they just need a young guy in the building. But, yeah, I, would, I wouldn't be against that at all. I mean, it worked out last year. They had their guy. They won him. They went and got him. Um, do it again. Chatting with Brendan Ertle here on Crunch Time for Who Dat Wednesday. Now, when you look at what they've already brought in with guys like Jamal Williams this offseason, Derek Carr as well, going into the season, in your opinion, what's the expectation? What's the mindset? You know, can this be a contender? Yeah, you look at the NFC, and you really sit down and look at it, and the betting odds are, you know, the Eagles, the Niners, and after that kind of gets a little little gross. Uh, the Eagles have lost some talent. The Niners are have having currently having a situation, a quarterback, um, and, you know, it's, it's wide open. It really is wide open. Um, we saw Pac-Man Jones today say, on the Pat McAfee show that he doesn't buy into the same type because they don't think it's secondary. Um, may I remind you that they had, uh, they led the NFL in uh, uh, secondary stats. They were second in the NFL in passing yards. So uh, may I remind you, they have a very good secondary. They have a great defense. Um, and the problem was uh, offensive inconsistencies. And you bring in Derek Carr to stop that. And like you said, you bring in Jamal Williams uh, there's a clear fix that they want. Dennis, Pete, they want to fix the offense. They want to become more physical and more conservative. And I think that they're doing the right thing so far, keeping MT. Uh, you get an insurance plan of for MT and Brian Edwards. I think they're doing all the right things. Uh, there's no reason that this team shouldn't win the division as it stands right now. Uh, the Carolina Panthers kind of concern me, and I still think – you know, Atlanta's doing the right thing. It's definitely not going to be a walk in the park. But there's no reason that this team shouldn't be able to contend in the NFC just because football is one of the one of the few sports where if you have this position, which is quarterback, you should be able to compete. It doesn't matter who you really have on your team if you have Patrick Mahomes. Now, the NFC doesn't really have a Patrick Mahomes, so it's wide open. And they need to nail this draft. They need to go clean up the rest of their needs in free agency, and they 100% should be a playoff contender and, you know, a contender to maybe get out of the NFC. What are your thoughts on tonight's game between the Thunder and the Pelicans? <sighs> there's there's no, that the sigh, Brendan. God, I, you just made the exact reaction that I made earlier when we <laughs> talked about it. I sighed before I even said a word. Yeah, it, it's it's... It's a huge game. It's the biggest of the season, but they, they shouldn't be in the spot. I mean, I always go back and look at my camera roll, and just a couple months ago, I, there was a number one seed. I had all the screenshots of it. It was a great feeling. And now we're trying to scratch and claw for the eighth seed. It just doesn't feel right. Uh, we feel unaccomplished. Like last year, it felt like we were ahead of schedule. Like we did that. We started off horribly. Uh, we cl- scratched and clawed our way. Uh, Fought with the one seed, the Suns, and you know this year is supposed to be year. Take the next step. We get into the top half of the West, uh, and we didn't do that. We started off well and then kind of fell off the fell off the ship. Um, but you know you can't give up. I, I think 
Uh, the Thunder do a lot of things well. I think they're a team that people maybe sleep on. Um, Shea Gilgis is one of those ones where, you know, he'll give you 28 points a game and they have some great young depth. I just think maybe they're a year away. Um, and if they do win this game, they get another, they get another chance with Minnesota. I mean, they had that game just a couple of days ago where they had, you know, Jaden McDaniels punching, punching a wall, breaking his wrist. They had Rudy Gobert punching a teammate. And uh, you don't win that game is is concerning. So uh, if they don't win this game, man, it's it's not good. Chatting with Brendan Ertle here on Crunch Time for Who That Wednesday. What do, what do you think about Zion Williamson? You know, he, he said he comes he'll come back when it's when he feels like Zion. It's a very similar situation to what you heard out out of Brandon Ingram early on in the year. Do you, do you think do you side with Zion in this? Is it is it okay for him to take some time to be better mentally? I'm gonna keep it a buck fifty. It's a messy situation. It really is. I think um, this Pelicans team has endured a ton of injuries. Uh, Bi's been out. Cj's been out. Zion's been out. Uh, the way things hand, were handled last year, I don't know if they're handled correctly. Um, you know, Zion came back this year, looked really good. He looked like he was healthy. So in that perspective, it, it could be the right thing. Um, just things are messy right now. I, I, B.I. did take his time, and when he did, when he was ready to come back, he, he did come back, and he looked great. Um, it took him some time to look like the B.I. we remembered. Uh, there was a lot of frustration with his play at first. Um, but in this situation, it's getting messy. Shams is someone that's very close to the Pelicans, very close to Zion. Just a week ago, he said the Pelicans believe Zion is not close. So in that situation, I'm like, okay, he's not going to play in the plan. He's not going to play in probably in the first round. If they get farther, who knows? And then Zion comes out and says he's, it's a mental thing. So I just want to know what what's the real story, when he's going to be back, and um, you know, someone's got to someone's got to step up and say something and i just want to know the true story and i think all pelicans fans are we, we just want the best for zion we want to know what's going on we want him to play and it's not a selfish thing it's not like we just want him to play to win we want we want to see zion williamson play so give us that information that is, is going to tell us when he's going to play yeah so but, it's frustrating and um i just want to see the kid play again yeah no, no doubt about it you know um Lighthearted question, but before we get you out of here, with all the new additions and, and obviously superstar rookie like Chris Olave with the Saints, if you had to buy one Saints jersey to get ready for 2023, who are you buying? I'm going to walk you into my closet. My jerseys right now are Jarvis Landry, Jameis Winston. So that point being, don't ask me, because whoever I buy, it's not going to end well. So I'm going to buy – who should I buy next? Whose career should I ruin? I don't know. Tano Passigno. Um, <laughs> I mean, at this point, just give me like a – give me a Trevor Penning jersey. I, I don't know. Just I, buy an Andrews I, P jersey. Yeah, Andrews P. I mean, um, I, I, I guess I just – I'm not a good jersey buyer or but, jersey requester. But if you buy an Andrews P jersey, do a custom jersey with his number and then write Pondwater on the back. <laughs> No, right, bubble butt. I mean, 
I'll, I'll just I'll just customize my own jersey and put my own last name on it. Right. At this point, whoever I buy just doesn't even play. So hey, ruin your own life. A, a Brendan a Brendan <laughs> Ertle Saints jersey would be a hot buy. Mm. What number though? Oh, uh, you know zero's available. I'll take zero. No one on the Saints has it. That's Agent, fair. Agent Zero. That's fair. Brendan Ertle joining us here on a Who Dat Wednesday. Brendan, appreciate you as always. Have a good rest of your week, and uh, we'll do it again next week, my friend. Yes, yes, sir. You guys too. And there he goes, Brenton Ertle of Canal Street Chronicles. We'll take a timeout. We'll wrap up today's extra long show right after this. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. From the Louisiana Raging Cajuns to the latest with the New Orleans Saints and Pelicans. Miguez and Mesh cover it all. I'm not worried. Uh, I think it's something that I can get under control. Now back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. 555 as we wrap up today's Crunch Time here on the game. It's Southwest Louisiana sports station. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. James, Cajuns softball tonight against Texas A&M. I said yesterday that if they could get one of these two games, they would be in good shape. They did not win last night. Do no, they it was beat, a really close one. Do they beat A&M tonight? I'm going to say no. Oh, I, I, think, I think it's going to be another one of those close games, but I, I think they end up losing 4-2. to two. This man. I have them winning seven to six. I have them winning seven to Good six. Good bit of offense in that one. Uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers teasing the potential return of a creamsicle jersey. Yeah, you seen that? Huh? You, you love it? You hate it? <sighs> See, I love orange. It's a, it, this is an unpopular opinion, but that's a great jersey. You love that? I, some people do. It's either you love it or you hate it. That's a great jersey, and I just don't care for it. I love orange. It's my favorite color, but just that cream sickle on the Bucks, oh, I think not it's a, my thing. I think it's a great jersey. The logo, the logo itself, with pretty much the Jack Sparrow with the knife in his mouth. That's I like that, but just the color in general, I don't care for that shade. But you see, I've also been a big fan of like the Oregon neon yellow jerseys. I, I always thought those were awesome too. Um, the Seattle Seahawks, they have that. Highlighter green. Oh, it's terrible. See, I That's I kind of like it. Um, when they so, when they did the when they did the green jersey with the regular blue pants, it's like, what are you doing? It makes no sense. So yeah, I mean, I don't know. I I'm looking forward to seeing what that what that could do because I know that the Saints or the NFL in general has talked about bringing in a new alternate jersey for each team. But that's going to do it for today's edition of Crunch Time. I want to thank Brian LaLima, Zach Nagy, Chris Blair, and Brendan Ertle for joining us here on this extra-long Crunch Time. For the producer extraordinaire, James Mesh. James, have a great rest of your weekend. Enjoy the bachelor trip down in Grand Isle. We'll see you on Monday, bud. I'm Matt Miguez. Be safe, be well, hug your mom and them. We're back tomorrow, 4 to 5.30 with the world-famous CD right here on The Game.